Well, we've seen uh, King David as a man of many virtues, many qualities worth emulating. Um, you know, we've seen how even in his mistakes and defeats, he was able to meet with God and, and get back to that place of following God and following the Lamb. Uh, but I want to consider the thought from David's life of endurance during pressure. Enduring in times of great pressure and difficulty uh, because of all of the characters in Scripture. Now, many of, the, many of them went through times of pressure, but you know, David went through one of the longest seasons of pressure. Um, I think maybe someone comparable might be Joseph, right? Went through many years of pressure and difficulty and challenges. Um, and the one, the, the period of we're really thinking about is when he was running from Saul, right? Here he was being faithful in Saul's house. All of Israel saw his faithfulness, but because of Saul's jealousy, David had to flee for his life. And, and most people estimate that he was running from Saul for about seven to 10 years. Think about that. Just being on the run, never knowing if the place you're laying down your head for the night is safe or if Saul's army is around the next corner trying to get him. And, you know, I mean, that's what literally how he lived for, you know, 10 years is probably the accurate number. It must have been so intense. And not just that, but it was a long time. That was a long and intense trial. Uh, and it wasn't just himself, was it? Because people joined, you know, pretty soon, pretty quickly, at least 400 people joined themselves with David. But we know it was more than that because they had their wives and children and so forth. By the time they got to Ziklag, he had 600 men and the wives and the children were staying in the town there. And so... You think about everything he had to endure and how he had to lead them and what a, what a challenging uh, time that must have been. I wonder, even though he was under 30, I wonder if he got a few premature gray hairs all just you know, having to, to deal with that time and that situation. And so David could be an example to us as believers of the concept of the pressure that at in certain seasons and in certain experiences we have to face. Um, in fact, one thing we know is that the Bible says the saints of the last day are going to face pressure and this persecution in that sense, but yet that, that thought of pressure. And, and Daniel 7.25 talks about the Antichrist, you know, trying to get, come against the, the saints uh, saints of the Most High. So it's the believers of the last day. And it says, it says, He, speaking of the Antichrist, shall speak great words against the Most High. And his purpose is to wear out the saints of the Most High. To wear out the saints. That phrase means to afflict. But there's, there's kind of a, a mental uh, context to afflict their minds and put pressure on their minds. And it, it just kind of gives us that thought or that picture like Jesus in the garden. He just had such pressure upon him as he was going to, to face the cross. And there's kind of a, that, that thought that 
there's going to be pressure upon us as well in the last days. But, you know, even in, in seasons and experiences and trials that we face that. Now, speaking of, the, of uh, Jesus in the garden, I remember hearing a story someone shared of how they, they visited a garden because they heard that in, in this certain garden, it, there was a statue carved of Christ and it was to represent Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he wanted to visit that and find that statue. And so he was just kind of came, coming into this garden area, and it was a secluded little spot. And he came and he saw the statue, and he said he was kind of shocked at the statue because he had it in his mind, well, here's Jesus rever- on his knees reverently praying to the Father, you know, in the garden. And, and sometimes you think, okay, that's, that's Jesus just praying and trusting in his father. But he was shocked because the, the artist had carved the statue of Christ and, and he depicted Christ on his knees with, in prayer with his hands on his head as if he was in agony. And he thought for a moment, he's like, you know what, that is what the Bible says. Because in Luke 22 and verse 44, it says, Jesus being in agony, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as great uh, drops of blood falling down to the ground. And the Greek word agonia, it, it means great struggle and anguish. And kind of an, an indication of what was coming upon his mind. You know, I don't know if you've ever just, probably we've all been at that place of just struggling in our minds and having anguish of because of whatever experience we're going through and that the pressure upon us but that was what Jesus faced probably a million times greater because it was a spiritual pressure probably every demon in hell was just coming against him to try and turn him from the cross but he overcame through the power of his father and it would seem that that in the last days you know, Christians are also going to face natural things, right? But I don't know if that's really going to be our main concern. God can take care of the natural things. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and he takes care of the natural things. But I think what is going to come upon Christians is a spiritual oppression and pressure because the Antichrist is going to be speaking great things against God and against his people. There's going to be a great battle even for mature believers. And, and so God wants to prepare us to face that. And sometimes he'll prepare us by taking us through experiences where we face that pressure upon us in our minds. <clears throat> now, there are a multitude of ways <clears throat> excuse me, that we can experience the trial of pressure. And we could probably come up with lots of examples, but I just want to bring out three concepts, three examples of things that we can go through and that we can experience as believers. Now, one of the things that, that really stuck out to me in considering David's trial, it, yes, it was a challenging trial, it was severe, but, but what struck me was the length of it, how long it was, how many years it was um, probably not too far off from a reflection of, you know, you talk about the last days and the great tribulation, that's seven years. 
Right? That'll be a, t- a trial for the believers in the last days, even in that sense. But you know, sometimes in our lives, God takes us through long periods where it's just kind of it seems like it's getting stretched out to forever. A long trial, a long time. But that was David. You know, all of those years having to just not having that certainty of safety, but having to trust in God for his safety. You know, some trials can be short but intense, uh, and we rejoice in in the shortness of it. (laughs) But other trials can be longer. You think about Job. Job's trial was very intense, and it lasted for a while. You know, if you read between the lines, you see a few times where months are mentioned, and it seems as if his trial probably didn't last for a year, but it was a lot of months. And it just kind of went on for him, and, and it was very intense. But then there's the longer trials, like David or like Joseph. And, you know, they both didn't really come out until they were 30 years old. That's, that's a long trial. And there could be different trials that God can take us through as believers that are designed to work in us, to do something specific. You know, it might be sickness. Sometimes God can give us an affliction. And when I say God give us, he allows us to go through something to do something in our hearts so that we cry out to him, so that we trust in him, so that we're hoping in him. Maybe it might be being under someone, right? Working in another man's vineyard or working in a job where your God's requiring you to be faithful in a challenging situation. Maybe it's the burden of caring for someone. Or maybe it's having to deal with someone who's the challenge and God's allowing that person to be there for a long time. There's lots of different ways that God can do that in us. But, you know, these experiences can be wearying. But, you know, one of the main attributes of God is is really striking when you think about it. He revealed his five main attributes to Moses in Exodus 34 and verse 6, and one of them was he is a God who is long-suffering. He's long-suffering. That's something to think about. Have you thought about that? He's the creator of the universe. He created us for his pleasure. And if I created something, I would not create, some, in my mind, I would not create something that would want cause me to suffer. <laughs> but God did. He created us knowing that he would suffer for a long time to the point where he he wants to be known as the God of long suffering. That that causes me to to kind of contemplate, Lord, you're long suffering. You suffer for us. He's been suffering as long as man has been on this earth. And so it's a small thing if he calls us to identify with him through seasons where we have to suffer for a long time. Of course, he never causes us to suffer more than we can handle. There's grace there. But yet, we're called to to know him in that way, in certain seasons and experiences. And if there's anything in Scripture that really illustrates this concept of, of enduring pressure for a long time, it's the thought of a pillar. 
right? When you, when you say pillar, you, you can kind of instantly think to mind that some of those ancient Greek and Roman pillars, the Corinthian pillars, and, uh, you know, you can, you can see some of those buildings in, in ancient places in Greece and Rome and Turkey and so forth that are still standing to this day. And, and you look at them and those massive pillars have been holding that structure up for thousands of years, still standing there. And the promise to the Philadelphian church in Revelation 3.12 was, He who overcomes, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. I wonder if they had some trials that they had to endure for a long time. But it did a beautiful work of preparation in their hearts that they could receive such a promise. It made them overcomers. But one of the characters characteristics of pillars is that pillars have to be able to hold a lot of weight for a long time. The building rests on them. If they fail, the building fails. And so God is going to prepare us before we graduate to that place of being a pillar. He doesn't want us to be it to be premature because whatever rests upon us depends on us. So a builder invests a lot of time and money into those pillars so that they won't fail. You know, uh, Philadelphia, that city is in modern, was in modern Turkey. And, you know, Turkey actually is very seismically active. It has at least three or four fault lines all traveling through that nation. Um, and they have some really powerful earthquakes. The last big one was in 1999. I think it was like a 7.4. Then I was looking at in 19. 39, they had a 7.8. I mean, that's ridiculously powerful. So they knew what it was to be shaken. Um, but, but there's that thought that God wants us to be able to endure those times of pressure, to stand in the pressure. And he wants to entrust us with the responsibilities of his kingdom. And so he'll take us through times of long suffering and pressure but it produces something beautiful. In fact, I think I mentioned in one of the recent messages that talking about a piano, you know, it's, it's crazy to think that you can just have a regular piano, but all of those strings that are in the piano that are tightened add up to about 11 tons of pressure. That's just a massive amount of pressure constantly in that piano, but it sure does produce a beautiful sound if the right person is playing. Not, not if I'm playing, but if my wife is playing, it can produce a beautiful sound. But of course, it's God who's playing us as instruments. And so the, the, the right player is there, but he needs the right pressure that our lives can be tuned to him to produce that beautiful music, that beautiful song, the song of the Lamb as we sung about in our worship service. All right, another aspect of, uh, of trials and pressure I want to mention, it's the thought of discouragement. All right, it's, you don't have to raise your hand, but you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced a season where you're just kind of discouraged. Maybe there's things that you were expecting or hoping for and they didn't come to pass or someone said something and it was just discouraging. And you know that when you're discouraged, oh, it's so heavy. You can feel so downcast and 
David had to talk to his soul. Why are you downcast? Why are you discouraged? Hope in God. And sometimes we have to literally talk to ourselves to get us out of that through the grace of God. But, you know, some of, I was just, Sarah and I were talking about how some of the greatest men and women of faith in Scripture went through times of intense discouragement when you read about their lives. And it's almost surprising to read about it. It's like, man, what? They, they're like the greatest, some of the greatest people in the kingdom of God. Why are they being discouraged? Or why are they discouraged? I think one of the most surprising of all is John the Baptist. You know, Jesus called him the greatest of all prophets. And, you know, he knows Jesus very well. He's his cousin. He's related by blood. He saw the Holy Spirit come upon him as a dove. When he baptized Jesus in the Jordan, he, he knew of the miracles that he was performing. But yet at the end of his life in ministry, he was at that low place in prison and he was suffering with that discouragement. And so he sent his disciples in Matthew eleven three through 5 and, and he asked that question, are you the one? And Jesus responded in, in verse 4. He said, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind have received sight, the lame have walked, the lepers cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus' response to John was to get him to look at what was taking place outside of his experience. God was working. God was moving. But he was going through a, a challenging time. He, you know, he was going through the test of discouragement. It, it was isolated, and it could be difficult to look outside of your predicament and of your experience. But when we do, sometimes God can show us, you know what, I'm moving, I'm working. Just hold steady, hold on. Sometimes God, it can, we can only see that as God reveals it. I was, actually, we see that with Elijah. Right? Elijah had accomplished so much for God in the backslidden states, state of, of the northern tribes of Israel. You know, he proclaimed faith in the land, or he proclaimed the famine in the land, and then he was sustained uh, by the Lord of the brook Cherith, and then he went to Zarephath and had that miracle of the, uh, of the sustenance of the widow, the never-ending barrel of meal and cruise of oil. You know, he had done so much. And then he went to Mount Carmel and defeated the prophets of Baal. And, you know, the fire of God came down. I mean, he was a man of faith and power. Yet he had to flee into the wilderness, you know, because of some great pressure. And it was much more than just a woman. It was, it was a, a principality and power and a pressure that was coming against him. And he was in that low place and he proclaimed to the Lord, all he had done. And then he said this in, in 1 Kings 19 and verse 10. He said, Lord, I've been jealous for the Lord God of hosts, but, but I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. You know, he, he was just kind of thinking, Lord, I've done all this for you, but here I am. <laughs> I'm, I've fled out into the wilderness. I'm the only one left. But, it was in that place of great and deep discouragement that God met with Elijah. And it wasn't in the wind, 
It wasn't in the earthquake and it wasn't in the fire, but it was in the still small voice of God. You know, Elijah, he met with the voice of the Lord in that holy mountain and he learned something that he couldn't see in the natural and he couldn't experience. You know, he, he had to go to that mountain. And it, to him, it, initially, it was the mountain of discouragement, but then it was the holy mountain because he met God and heard this still small voice. And that he also heard, Elijah, there's 7,000 others who haven't bowed the knee and who were being faithful. And I'm sure they were being impacted by Elijah's ministry out there and being sustained, you know, by I'm sure Obadiah was impacted by Elijah's ministry. He, had, he was given boldness and probably an encouragement to do that, and he was sustaining the prophets. And so his impact was great, but he had to get that perspective from God as he went through that time of discouragement. There's several others we could mention. You know, we could come back to David, um, and we could say David because he was the one who wrote the psalm that was prophetic of Christ in Psalm 22 and verse 1. It was a psalm of David, and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? You know, he felt like that separation, that he was all alone, and that, that discouragement of being there. Of course, that was prophetic of what Christ felt at that moment when he took all of our sins upon us and had to be separated from his Father. And I'm sure that was a moment of, of deep, you know, I don't know if you could say discouragement, but where, where Christ felt so separated from his Father, but he endured even that for us. But as we, we see in all of these examples of deep discouragement, it wasn't necessarily because of a failing. And that's what I want to emphasize. It, you know, discouragement is not always because of, of a mistake or a failing, it's something we pass through. Because these men of God passed through a time of discouragement where it was like a depression that came upon them, you know, that it was something from the enemy. And they had to pass through that and cry out to God and keep their eyes upon him to hear his voice and to overcome it. And so if God lets some of these greatest ones of faith through it, then we can expect to, to have some experience of that in our lives or expect that to be a part of, you know, the pressure that we face in the last days as saints. But we can follow their example by lifting our eyes to the Lord and hearing his still small voice, and maybe we'll get some perspective of what's taking place around us. One last thought I want to touch on um, of the pressure of the last days, and this might be a little different, but I just get thought that thought of Criticism. Criticism. It's always amazing how, as believers, we can seek to do what's pleasing to God. We can seek to do what's right, what He's saying, you know, and, and it might be a difficult choice, but it's the right choice. But it seems as if there's always someone else there, <laughs> to put it politely, to cast doubt upon our decision or our stance through criticism. You know, David, King David, in one of his lowest times, when he was on the run from his son Absalom, he had a man named Shimei. And you remember Shimei from 2 Samuel. You know, he was telling David 
from Shimei's point of view, he's telling him everything he did wrong, um, that he'd wrongly taken the throne from Saul and judgment was coming upon his house. Of course, none of that was true, but he was still throwing that at David. But David's response was wonderful. You know, it, it, it really is something to marvel at. Is David said, let this man alone. Let him make his proclamations. It may be that God will hear his unjust proclamations, his accusations, and then God will move on my behalf. That's my paraphrase of it anyway. You know, David committed himself to God in that when someone was just saying terrible things about him, intentionally trying to destroy his reputation. You know, that's a serious thing. Trying to touch someone else's reputation, even if they're wrong. Touching someone's reputation is, is something we should be fearful of doing unless it's God is involved. But David committed himself into the hands of God. He didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know if he was going to die in the wilderness or God would bring him back. But he just committed himself. He looked beyond what the, the outcome would be, and he trusted in the one who controlled the outcome. He knew he could, God could turn it for good. And David overcame in that. But yet, you know, sometimes, well, I think it's in the nature of man to felt driven to, to criticize others. I was just thinking of uh, if, you, if you're a student of history, at least American history in our country, one of the most criticized presidents, and pr- pretty much every president is criticized, but if you look in history, probably the most criticized president in our nation's history is one of our most beloved. It's Abraham Lincoln. If you read some of the headlines that were written about him in his day, you would blush almost. They were pretty terrible. Uh, but he was doing something that was not popular in a large section of the country. You know, wanted, he wanted to take our nation in opposition of slavery and, and so forth. But, you know, we, sometimes we think critis, the criticism is bad today. It's not can't really compare to what it was at that point. But, you know, he knew better in that sense. He felt like he was doing the right thing for the nation. And he knew that time would prove him right, which it did in the end. And his legacy is endured. And we have a better perspective today that he did the right thing, but yet he had to endure such criticism. It's kind of hard to think about because today he's one of the most beloved presidents in our in our nation's history. But in the world, we're going to have to face, as believers, to face that same spirit of criticism as a part of the pressure. You know, people speaking against uh, the ways of God and the people of God. In fact, one of the names of our enemy, as it, as it says in Revelation 12.10, is the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. Our enemy loves nothing better than to make accusations and to point out you know, fallacies or to point out weaknesses or so forth to try and get us to second guess our decisions and, you know, get out of of our place of standing for God in the way of the cross. I've often thought about that phrase that Jesus said to his disciples. You know, when when the disciples, of course, in righteous anger, they said, well, 
that Samaritan village didn't want to receive Jesus. And so James and John, Lord, do you want us to pray for, call fire down upon them? Well, Jesus said this in, in Luke 9, 55. He said, you do not know what manner of spirit you're of in saying that. That's not the spirit I want you to flow in is what Jesus was saying, saying to them. But in, in the same sense, when, when we want to make sure we're not flowing in the spirit of criticism, because it is another spirit. You know, criticism is the spirit of the evil one in trying to speak against other people. Now, we also realize that at times we will face the accuser, you know, speaking things against us. But our prayer is that it will cause us to look to the one who is true, the one that's higher than us, to look to him as our rock. Because it's only, at the end of the day, it's only his words that matter. And that's what we want to have written upon our hearts and that our lives are founded upon. And that will enable us to stand. I want to close with one last verse. This is in James 1 and verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so there are, there are some pressures that God ordains and he designs situations so that we have to endure those pressures as saints of the Most High. The enemy is going to seek to wear us out, but you know the enemy is only a tool, a tool for God to work within us and to transform us into his pillars so that we're pillars in the temple of our God. We might experience some lengthy trials at times, and it might just be something in our lives that just kind of goes for a long time. And over time, we don't realize how it's just building up and getting to us, but yet God can give us the strength and grace to overcome in that. It can cause us to rely upon God and receive the abundance of strength so that we can uphold great weight in his kingdom. There might be times of discouragement, but we can be encouraged that it's, it's something that the greatest saints had to go through, but God met with, with them. And it was in their discouragement that God revealed his still small voice. And we may face the spirit of criticism in our day, but God is able to cause us to overcome the voice of the enemy as we remain steadfast, as James says, in our trials. We stand in those tests and God will give us the crown of life, which he has promised to those who love him. Father, we just thank you and we look to you. Lord, we see the example of David and how he went through uh, Lord, challenging times in his life that were intense. Lord, times of great pressure, and sometimes they went on for quite a while. But Lord, we see the working you were doing in him. Lord, how you were making him a pillar. You were making him an example to hold up great weight in your kingdom. And So Lord, we just cry out to you. Lord, we, we acknowledge, Lord, the work you want to do. And Lord, we say, help us to endure. Help us to accept that work and to flow in it. 
Oh God, we just invite you now to come and work. Lord, help do whatever it would take to make us pillars in your temple. Lord, help us to set our ears to hear you and not to hear the words of others. Lord, that we could hear your still small voice. And that as James says, Lord, make, make us to enter in the blessing of the one who remains steadfast in those trials that we can receive your crown of life. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.